This is the Tribune Audio Network. This is the Backstory Podcast. I'm Larry Potash. On this show, we uncover the backstory behind some of the most intriguing tales in history, culture, science, and religion. In this episode, Ian Fleming was in British intelligence before he created James Bond. So how much of the world's greatest fictional secret agent was Fleming himself? This is the Backstory. The iconic gun barrel opening, one of the many signature moments of a James Bond film. But what surprises await us? Spectacular stunts and the narrow escapes may seem far-fetched, but the creators of James Bond have always rooted their stories in reality. Whether trends like video games in the 80s, in the 1970s, the war on drugs in Live and Let Die, and Moonraker launches a shuttle in 1979, two years before NASA does. The Bond movies in the 60s were like the Star Wars of, the, of that time. They were the only big action-adventure franchise. It was a new kind of action film. It, nothing like that had quite been done before. A license to kill whom he pleases, where he pleases, when he pleases. James Bond is back. The final episode from Daniel Craig, who brought Bond back as Ian Fleming had envisioned, a dark, tough anti-hero. Casino Royale, I think, is one of the best. Raymond Benson is nine when his dad takes him to Goldfinger, starring the first Bond, Sean Connery. I saw it on the big screen and my life was changed. Two decades later, Benson becomes a leading 007 expert. He publishes the James Bond Bedside Companion in 1984. Yeah, there's my book in his, on his coffee table, which is exactly where it belongs. That's Sean Connery's coffee table. The James Bond Bedside Companion is a catalog of everything Bond, a franchise that in 1962 changes movie making. With Connery as, as this guy with a license to kill, who would uh, you know, shoot a guy in cold blood on screen, which what happened in Dr. No. It's a Smith and Wesson, and you've had your six. Then there was sex, you know, in 1962, it was considered pretty racy. The violence and the way the movie was cut, the editing was very fast for the time. The music was so dynamic with all this jazz and the electric guitar and the wah, wah, the sassy, brassy stuff. It was just a, an assault on the senses. To understand Bond, it helps to understand Ian Fleming, the man who creates James Bond for his novel Casino Royale in 1953. Fleming kind of was a lost soul during his 20s. He starts as a journalist, then becomes a stockbroker. Then, Admiral John Godfrey of British Naval Intelligence needs an assistant and offers the job to Fleming. Fleming just kind of went, that sounds like fun. <laughs> so he did. He was put in charge 
a lot of organizing and sometimes creating espionage activities. He did command guys that were like James Bond. Fleming's legacy, the 30 assault unit in World War II. This was a unit of commandos who were trained to go into enemy bunkers after the Germans had been wiped out, and they knew what to look for that was intelligence, that they could extract and bring back to England. Then they were both on their feet, each waiting for the other to make the next move. Bond's Walter PPK was in a waterproof holster attached to the belt around his diving suit. Fleming's 007 novels and short stories inspire a $20 billion franchise of dozens of movies and books. Bond managed to elbow his assailant in the ribs, but this only served to increase his aggression. Not only is Benson a fan, but in the 1990s, the Fleming estate asks him to become the first American to write James Bond novels. And now you're making your second mistake, Bond said. Oh yeah, Michaels whispered, not from where I'm standing. So that desk that Fleming is sitting at uh, yeah. there, we have you. Oh yeah, it's the here. same desk. This is in Jamaica. Uh, this was right uh, when it was announced that I was the author in 1996. It was very strange. I, I went into a trance. <laughs> it, it was like, oh wow, you know. Uh, How much pressure did you feel sitting down to write a James Bond novel? Oh well, it was very scary. Benson writes several yeah. Bond books, including six novels. His first, Zero Minus Ten, in 1997. He was using a mixture of karate, kung fu, and traditional Western boxing. Bond believed in using whatever worked. The first book took place in Hong Kong and China, and so I went there and did all my research, traveled around, walked in Bond's footsteps, basically. You know, ate his food, stayed in his hotels. I didn't jump out of any airplanes without a parachute, though. Sitting at Fleming's desk, Benson has to get into the mind that creates the character. I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. But who is James Bond? I think Bond came out of his own wish fulfillment of who he really wanted to be. This was his dream image of himself. He did probably take a lot of the guys he knew and worked with during the war and put, made an amalgamation of, of them. Bond saves the world again and again. The books are a hit in Britain. Not so much in the U.S. until it gets an endorsement. JFK played a part in its popularity. JFK, yes, absolutely. Uh, there was a Life magazine uh, interview with John F. Kennedy in 1961, and uh, they asked him, what were your 10 favorite books? And he named nine nonfiction, you know, political <laughs> biography type books, one novel, and that was From Russia With Love by Ian Fleming. And that really, everybody kind of went, Oh, let's go buy a book. The following year, the first Bond film, Dr. No, hits the big screen with an actor that the producer's wife discovers in Darby O'Gill and the Little People. She is my dear, my darling one. My this is all apocryphal, but apparently when he walked in the offices of Eon Productions in London, all the secretaries, all the women kind of went, like that, and Cubby and his partner, Harry Saltzman, were like going, look, 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 look. And Connery refused to do a screen test. He just kind of went, look, if you want me, you just got to shine me. And, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and so they, they did. Roger Moore appears in the TV spy series, The Saint, and is a natural fit. During the 1970s, he brings a more comedic style. Stinging in the rain. That's not funny, 007. Oh. <laughs> 
The success of the Jason Bourne movies influences the Bond franchise to get edgier and a new star to go with it. Some fans are skeptical, calling him James Blonde. Apparently too light, too short, but definitely the grittiest Bond yet. Perhaps the best Bond backstory is the one only serious Bond fans will recall. This never happened to the other fella. He appears only once in 1970 on Her Majesty's Secret Service. George Lazenby has no experience. He's a car salesman and model. He went and got his hair cut the same way and went to a tailor and walked into the office as if he was James Bond. They did do a screen test and, you know, he bloodied the stuntman's nose in a fight scene. So they just kind of went, okay, you're it. But Lazenby is one and done. By all accounts, he's difficult to work with. The Bond films feature exotic locations, exotic villains. I am Ernst Stavro. And exotic vehicles. In 2011, I got a chance to drive one. Was this the Bond car or the bad guy this car? This is the bad guy. It has missiles that fire out of the front. And it actually had a real functioning machine gun on it. It's a little odd to see a green Jaguar with a machine gun mounted on the back driving through the cornfields of rural Illinois. Doug Gradenius is the co-founder of the Ian Fleming Foundation, which owns about 39 Bond vehicles. It took 14 years to find this truck. Since our last visit, many of them have been moved to this airplane hangar in a discreet location. They're frequently on display for special events. A world-famous stunt guy, Remy Julien, mm -hmm. turned the semi up on its side and drove it in the film, and he actually did that. The vehicles in the James Bond films, they're, they're in a sense almost like a character. You're absolutely right. Sometimes the Bond cars are equal stars as the stars that appear in the movies. Unlike spectacular vehicles in other movies, these Bond vehicles do not rely on special computer effects. The Bond producers still to this day build touchy-feely, hands-on, solid vehicles that actually do these things. Redenius used to be a mailman in moments. He starts his Bond collection in 1979 with this toy Aston Martin. Today, such Bond memorabilia and movie artifacts can be worth big bucks. When I look around, it would seem that it would take millions of dollars mm. to amass this collection, hardly affordable for any mailman. Right. <laughs> so how did you do it? Things weren't that expensive. It was hard to find them, because you got to remember, there were no cell phones, there was no computer, it was word of mouth or a flea market, but it still did cost money. I was a fanatic. If it had Bond on it, I had to have it. His collection grows to 18,000 items, which attracts the attention of the Ian Fleming estate. He even gets to be an extra in License to Kill. That's him there. The Ian Fleming Foundation is formed in 1992, and the collection becomes even bigger as people find many of these famous Bond vehicles in the garbage. Remember the famous Lotus submarine car? For production, they use multiple cars. I found two Lotus submarine cars in the junkyard in the Bahamas. There's a photograph that we have of it's painted red. 
and it's up on cinder blocks and has Christmas tree lights on it. A friend finds one in a storage unit and buys it for five bucks. A few years ago, asked if I'd sell it for him, and Elon Musk bought that car for just a few bucks under a million dollars. Not a bad investment for five bucks. <laughs> Alone at last. The gadgets and cars evolve with technology, but what about the James Bond character? While a female could be a double-O agent, producers say a woman could not play James Bond. What about an African-American? Many fans suggest Idris Elba would make a good 007. Do I think audiences would accept a black James Bond 007? Yes. Do I think a studio would pump $250 million in a gamble like that? I'm not sure. He is a, a product of the 1950s and 1960s. Personally, you know, I would love to see Bond be placed back in that time period. After all, that's when Ian Fleming creates his alter ego. With a 70 cigarette a day habit, Fleming passes away in 1964 of heart disease at the age of 56. He left a legacy of an anti-hero, a familiar but exaggerated version of his own backstory. You couldn't put your finger on who Ian Fleming was. He was that kind of guy. There was a darkness there. Thanks for listening to Backstory. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe to our podcast or leave a review. To watch our full coverage of this story and see some that didn't make it to the podcast, visit us online at wgntv.com slash backstory. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.